0: Welcome to the Conversations with Christians Engage podcast. Hosted by Bunny Pounds, this podcast is created as part of our ministry to awaken, motivate, educate, and empower believers in Jesus Christ to pray for our nation and elected officials regularly, to vote in every election to impact our culture, and to help us engage our hearts in some form of civic education and involvement for the well-being of our nation. Please share this podcast and our ministry, with your family and friends by asking them to take our pledge to pray, vote, and engage. They can take the pledge on our website at christiansengaged.org. We can all change America one heart at a time. We are here to serve you and empower you to be a leader in your community.
1: Guys, we're getting really close to our our 2022 wake up conference this is a national conference around prayer worship education and inspiration i guarantee you if you didn't come last year you've been like nothing you've been to nothing like this government leaders ministry leaders across denominational lines coming together for the sole purpose of saying america needs you in this moment we don't care what you do but you have to get involved for the well-being of our nation it's time to pray vote and engage We were so blessed last year um, to have a great young woman who can articulate biblical theology and conservative principles better than almost anybody else. Her name is Allie Beth Stuckey. Allie has been on the Blaze TV. She is a a podcaster. She has been on Fox News. She has a great book. We did in our book club even last year. But Allie's message just was right on of where we are right now, how to discern the issues of our time, how to be bold and courageous and to stand up. We have to be Bereans. That means, you know, the Apostle Paul said, don't think about what I say. Don't just take that at face value. You go be a Berean and you go search it out. You go search out the scriptures to see if what I say is true. No one does that better than Ali Bestucky. Stuckey. If you follow her on Twitter or social media, Um, You'll be blessed. So I want you to listen to this message with an open heart and come join us at the Wake Up Conference September 23rd and 24th in Rowlett, Texas. If you have not got your tickets yet, you have to get your tickets. I mean, this is going to be an amazing, amazing time. So don't forget to be with us and listen to this incredible message from last year's conference by Allie Beth Stuckey. (laughs)
2: Thank you guys so much for your warm welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. I love what Bunny does. I love this organization. It represents this intersection that I'm so passionate about getting Christians to be involved in the political sphere, to care about what's kind of sometimes denigrated as, you know, culture wars that some people say don't have a whole lot of significance. But I think as we're seeing, especially as we've seen even over the past week in the Virginia elections, those so called culture wars really, really matter. Um, I like to say on my podcast that politics matter because policy matters because people matter. Politics affects policy, policy affects people. And if we as Christians are called to love our neighbor, while there are a variety of ways that we can love our neighbor, maybe not the primary way is through politics, one way that we can love our neighbor is through politics because policy affects people. So that's why I do what I do. I host a podcast called Relatable, as Bunny said, and the majority of my audience is female. I've worked very hard to cultivate that audience since about 2015. I started speaking um, at chapter meetings for sororities, actually. I graduated from college in 2014, and um, I was a communications major. I went into PR and social media, but I knew I wanted to speak in front of people literally since I, I could talk. A, a very long time I've known that I wanted to communicate to people, but I didn't know what exactly that would look like. And then the election was happening around the primary, it was in 2015 for the 2016 election. I was right out of college. I lived in a college town actually in Athens, Georgia, even though I'm from here. And I decided, you know what? I really want to engage young people, especially young Christians, especially young Christian women, and tell them why they should care about this election. Why should you care about the primary? Why should you care about the presidential election? And so I started asking the sororities, can I please come and give this free presentation at your sorority house? And so some of them said no, some of them said yes, but I knew when I was standing in front of this group of you know several hundred women talking about politics, okay, this is what I want to do. I don't know if you guys have ever... Had that feeling, and actually, the first time I had this feeling, it was um, I was giving the speech at graduation. I had this feeling of this is what I want to do for the rest of the rest of my life is to help Christians know why these so-called culture wars, why these political battles that we're in actually matter. They have repercussions on people and on people's lives, and so. That's what I do in my podcast, Relatable. It's majority women, as I said. It's majority young women, I would say, probably 18 to 40 or so, a lot of moms. And I think the reason that I've been able to talk about the things that I have is because people are realizing, people are realizing that we're in this very particular moment. That, um, you know, I was nine years old, I believe, nine years old, yeah, on 9 11. And I remember, I remember sitting in church, and one of my grandmother's friends at church said, you know, your generation has already lived through a lot. You've lived through this very contentious election, Bush v. Gore. You've lived through 9-11. Your generation is going to go through so much. And there was almost a feeling then, even when I was nine years old, that the America that I was born into was going to be different. Of course, I couldn't articulate why. But... I think that feeling has increased over the past five or six years even. I don't know, since 2015, I'm sure before that for a lot of you, but people my age, millennials, I was born in 92, and so my age, we're just now coming into adulthood, having kids, we have a mortgage, we've just now started to realize that the world that we were born into, that we were raised in, the America that we were raised in, is very different than the world that we are now raising our kids in. I have a two and a half year old and a six month old, and I'm thinking about the things that I have to teach them that my parents just didn't have to teach me, that I have to, I'm going to have to explain what a man is, what a woman is in a way that my parents never did, um, that they really could take for granted that I would be able to go to school and I would be able to learn things that aligned with their worldview. Now we're realizing, especially parents my age, that there's nothing that we can take for granted. And I think that there's a little bit of a temptation for all of us to feel some nostalgia, especially maybe for older generations to feel nostalgia for a time when we didn't have to have conversations about what a man is, what a woman is, even what the definition of marriage is, the threat of... Um, the government encroaching on parental rights, things like that that we're dealing with today, there's certainly a feeling of can't we just go back to yesteryear? And will we go back? Will we ever go back to normal? Will we ever go back to a time where Christianity is in the mainstream again? And I don't know the answer to that. I do know that we live in a different era with different challenges and different obstacles than my parents did. We live in a different country than the one that I was raised in. And what I encourage people that I'm talking to is to actually just let go of the nostalgia. Let go of that feeling that I wish that America was like how it used to be. I wish that we could go back to the 80s or 90s or early 2000s or whatever time feels more normal and feels more simple. The fact of the matter is, is that God in his absolute sovereignty has placed each and every one of us, our children and our children's children, on the specific tiny spot of eternity that he has placed us for a purpose, for a reason. God does things with specificity. He does things deliberately. He does things with intention. He does things with purpose. He doesn't do anything haphazardly. He doesn't do anything on accident or spontaneously. And so if I trust that the God that I serve is sovereign and that he put you and me at the time that he did for a specific reason, then I also have to trust that he is going to fully equip us to deal with whatever whatever special obstacle that he has placed in front of us. So Christians have such a unique opportunity. My generation of Christians have such a unique opportunity. I hear people say all the time, oh, I feel so bad. millennials or generation z that they're that they're being raised in this time where they're growing up in such a complicated era such a scary era is the end of democracy over and all of these scary thoughts and maybe so but i have to trust that the god who is sovereign knew what he was doing when he put every generation on earth at the time and the place that he did So that's why I do what I do, that's why I have the podcast that I have to try to equip and empower, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, to help people as I am learning about everything that's going on and trying to fit it into a biblical worldview. Um, there's one thing, as I'm trying to make sense of all the chaos that's constantly happening, there's one thing that I have found that I love so much about God, and that surprises me. Every time, Genesis is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and every time I go back and I read Genesis again, there's something that strikes me about God that I feel like isn't talked about quite enough, and that is that God is a God of order. He is a God of process, that as I said, he doesn't do anything haphazardly, but he also doesn't really do anything automatically. There's nothing that really just kind of shows up. And what I mean by that, I'll explain and I'll tie it into what we're talking about here today with involvement in politics and civic engagement and why I think that this really kind of. Um, lays the foundation for how Christians should engage. But if we go back to the beginning, if we go back to Genesis 1, we go back to the creation account, we see that God has a process for creating the world. It wasn't some big bang that happened all at once, that each day we read, there was something else that he creates. There is specificity to it. There is light, there is dark, there is day, there is night, There are sun, moon, stars, there are animals, and then he makes man in the image of God, and he makes male and female, female from male. He didn't have to have a process, but he did have a process. He had an order that he went in, and the he inspired the word to be written in such a way that we understood that he had a process in creating creation, including man. And then he gives human beings a process. So even before the fall, Adam is given a job. Sometimes we think of work as a necessary evil. We think of heaven as a place where we're not going to work. It's going to be so nice just to be laying around all the time. I don't think that's a proper depiction of heaven at all because we actually see work before Genesis 3, before the fall, that Adam is given the responsibility to name the animals and to work and to keep the land. And so, God, this God of process, and he doesn't have to be, but for some reason he is, makes man in his image to also be. Uh, a man of process, a human of process, to work the land. He could have created the earth in such a way that it would sprout vegetation, that the soil never had to be tilled, but that's not how he created it. He also created man to actually need woman to no longer be alone, and made them to be able to have a process to multiply the earth. He didn't have to do any of that. He could have populated the earth automatically, immediately, spontaneously, simultaneously, but he didn't. God is a God of order. He has a hierarchy. He has an order. He has specificity. God, man, woman, their children, animals, vegetation, light, darkness, day, night. God is a God of order, of purpose, of meanings, of distinctions, of definitions, and of clarity. And we see this not just in the creation account. We see this, obviously, in the giving of the law to Israel. He loves parameters. He loves boundaries to keep them holy, to keep them set apart, to keep them protected. We see it, of course, in the great redemption story that culminates in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And we see that even today, that the plan of redemption is continuing to play out and it will continue to play out as he wills until he comes back and makes all things new. He doesn't do everything all at once. He has processes and promises. We are, um, he uses the process of evangelism and prayer to win hearts to himself. Christians, we gain sanctification through process. We gain wisdom through the process and the promise that he gives us to give us wisdom. So God works through process in his power. He loves order. God loves order, which is the exact opposite of what we see in culture today. If there's one word that I can use to describe our society and the confusion that we face—it is disorder. We are a disordered society. Our priorities are out of whack. Uh, we are—we uh, are changing the meanings of words, the definitions of reality, to the point to where people are questioning the very existence of truth. As I said in the beginning, there are things that we never thought that we would have to define that now we are finding ourselves having to have an apologetic for. You never thought that you would have to have an apologetic for gender or for defending the fact that a life inside the womb is not just a clump of cells, but is actually a life made in the image of God. We have seen, and it's already happened, and the train has already passed, the redefinition of the family at the expense of children, the unmitigated expansion of government power, the attack on parental rights, the enabling of lawlessness and crime that has seemed to grow, increase, be exacerbated, uh, exacerbated over the past year. It seems sometimes, if you go on Twitter, which I don't recommend, but if you do, then you know that in large part we've lost all sense, it seems like. We've lost rationality, we've let go of morality, we are so detached from truth that we can't even define the most obvious facts of life. And that is what the marginalization of the Christian influence in society will lead to. It always leads to confusion. It always leads to chaos. And worse than that, it leads to the degradation of human beings, the glorification of evil, the normalization of confusion and chaos. So we are disordered. Without Christianity, things are disordered, things are out of place, priorities are out of whack, values are misaligned, up is down, down is up, evil is good, good is called evil. Whether that is anarchy that we see at the border that is bad for all parties that are involved, the policies that exacerbate and even encourage crime within our cities, the blurring of the distinctions and definitions of male and female, the celebrating, of the slaughtering of unborn children, all of these are products of a disordered society. And a disordered society is because of the absence or the purposeful pushing away of the God of order. Even our societal roles are disordered. Rather than having distinct uh, spheres that honor the responsibility of the authority of family, of church, and government. Uh, Rights that belong to parents are now being taken over by the government. Responsibilities that belong to the church are being delegated to the government. Liberty and autonomy entitled to individuals is being taken over by the government. When God is no longer God, the government becomes God. And those spheres, that order of authority that God lays out so clearly in his word, church, family, government, get collapsed into one category, and that is government. And from there, as I said, we see the degradation of human beings that always comes from the corruption of an unaccountable, powerful bureaucracy. I think we've seen that a lot, especially in the past year and a half. Because the God who created us, who created the world, and in whom is all truth, is the sole foundation upon which any society can create systems that are just, good, beneficial, and ordered in a healthy way for everyone. God is a God of order. So when we abandon God, we abandon good order, order within families. Within church, societies at large, things get redefined and reconfigured until they no longer make sense. And so lawlessness, confusion, and evil abound. So then, what is our role as Christians in society? How do we represent ourselves and represent the policies that we advocate for? There are a lot of different kinds of policies that Christians may advocate for, and many that we can have the freedom to disagree on, that's true. But if there's one word that I think should define Christians and what we bring to the table, if we're talking about a particular policy, if we're talking about any decision that is going to affect our communities, it should be order. We are agents of order. If we know that Satan, is an agent of chaos and an agent of anarchy, then we as ambassadors of Christ are agents of order. We reinforce the boundaries between the authority and the role of the state, the church, and the family. So that means just in general, and there's lots of specifics to this, but in general that means we push back against all efforts of the state to become a parent, a pastor, a nanny, our caretaker, our moral arbiter, and or a tyrant we encourage marriage we encourage uh, having children we encourage the creation of the family we defend the parents right to care for and disciple and educate their children we equip we resource the church and Christian organizations to create the community that so many are longing for and unfortunately sometimes can't seem to find or feel like they can't find in the body of Christ We offer a place of belonging and of refuge for the most vulnerable. We advocate for the rights of churches, the rights of families and individuals to speak, to worship, and to work and live freely. It also means that we resist confusion at every turn. We affirm God's good definition of male and female. Today, it seems like some people believe that they can actually outlove the God who is love by... Compromising when it comes to these cultural issues. So they think that they can actually out empathy God by being pro abortion. They can out love God, out compassion God by tolerating all of these cultural and sexual and gender and moral changes um, because they believe that in order to be a good witness to the world, they actually need to look like the world. Well, God says that's not true. We can't out love God. If the God who is love says something is true, says something is right, says something is good, says something is bad, then he says that from love. And the most loving thing that we can do is to speak and represent that truth in a way that is clear, in a way that is ordered. So we affirm. Thank you. (laughs) We affirm God's definition of marriage, the value of life inside the womb, the dignity of all human beings as made in the image of God, no matter their political affiliation, no matter their stated identity. We affirm the dignity of human beings as made in the image of God. We affirm God's order. Why? Because we love our neighbor. And if the God who is love says a particular order is good, then we are loving to affirm that. We become agents and representatives of that order when we advocate for policy, when we, uh, when we run campaigns, when we sit on the school board, when we vote, whenever and wherever we engage in civic life, we lead our families by teaching them to live in God's order. And there are a few practical tips that I like to give people on my podcast um, that I think uh, we can... There are a few phrases just to remember when you are thinking about, okay, should I stand up for this issue? Should I push back against this? Should I get involved in this local issue? How do I do this? There are a few things that I like to say because I've loved seeing so many parents rise up and talk to their school board or talk to their school administrators or start to care about these issues that are really affecting their kids. And there's one thing that I really like to encourage the women in my audience to do after I make the case that politics matter because policy matters, because people matter. And the first thing that I, that I like to say is to raise a respectful ruckus. Raise a respectful ruckus about the things that matter. People are going to tell you that if you push back against the curriculum that you see your kids learning in school, that you know is disordered, that you know is not good for the kids who are learning it, that you are, they'll call you all kinds of names. They'll call you a bigot, that you're trying too hard, that you're caring too much, that you just need to sit down. Or if you speak up in your workplace about a policy that you see is unfair, if you speak up about any kind of injustice, there's going to be opposition and fear and silence in the face of that opposition is contagious. If other people around you who know where you stand see your silence and they see your fear, that's contagious. But the really good news is is that courage is contagious too. Courage begets courage. All it takes is one person. All it takes is one person to stand up against that university policy or that particular mandate that you see as unjust or whatever it is that you see as unjust against that which you know as a Christian is good and right and true. It takes the courage of one person, one person to stand up against that. So raise a respectful ruckus. Find people in your community, whatever organization you're representing, who are like-minded with you, and craft a message, bring it towards the people in charge, see if you can make a difference, and and maybe, maybe you can. I've got people right now who are in major corporations who are dealing with an ultimatum when it comes to this vaccine mandate, and they actually feel a responsibility to stand up for the people that are around them that don't have as much influence as they do in the company, And this isn't a stance necessarily on any medical procedure, but it is a stance on liberty that people feel like, okay, this is the thing that I'm gonna stand up for. This is the thing I'm gonna have courage about. And I've seen it make changes. I've seen it make changes in corporations. I've seen it make changes on the local level. Courage begets courage and you standing up and raising respectful ruckus actually can make a difference. The second thing that after you raise a respectful ruckus, and I would tell this to all of the all of the people that I have, um, all the Christians in particular, that one school board races last week. I'm so proud of them. So many of them are not involved in politics at all. They're not even, they haven't been interested in politics, but like I just said, they raised a respectful ruckus and they thought, who else is going to do this except for me? And so once you get into that position of influence, you have to replace bad with good. So you have to replace disorder with order. So you'll notice that, um, uh, you'll notice that secular, people in the political sphere very often are very evangelistic and they are extremely dogged. In ensuring that their particular agenda is characterizing whatever organization that you're a part of. Christians, sometimes we take a step back and we say, Well, you know, we don't want to push my ideas, we don't want to push my perspective, we don't want to push my worldview because I don't want people to think that I am, you know, shoving this down their throat or anything like that. And so we take a step back and we're quiet, and then we find ourselves in the mess that we are in. Um, And so, if you are going to raise concerns, if you're gonna raise concerns within your organization, within your local community, you have to be able to replace the bad ideas, the bad curriculum, the bad policy, whatever it is, with good, and don't apologize for it. Don't apologize for it. Because here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned, is that neutrality is a myth. Neutrality is a myth. So you might hear that, well, secularism is neutral. We don't want Christianity to, um, we, we don't want Christianity to influence whatever entity you might be in, or our laws, or our rules, or whatever that is. And certainly we don't believe because there's no biblical precedent for it and creating some kind of theocracy. But there's no such thing as neutral ground. There's no such thing as neutral ground. Every law, every policy, every decision comes from a worldview. And while we do believe in the separation of church and state, it is impossible to separate God from policy. It's impossible because if he is the God who created everything, if he is the God from which truth comes and, and from whom morality comes, then we should be unabashed and unapologetic in pronouncing and defending and advancing a biblical worldview everywhere we occupy, everywhere we stand. That simply means infusing every sphere in which God has placed you with light, with good, with that which you know is good and right and true. And then my last one, yeah, I think I'll end with this one because I'm running out of time. And I'm really I'm really passionate about this one because I know you guys are familiar with so-called cancel culture. I know you've seen people who have stood up for maybe Christian values or maybe just an unpopular view. Um, maybe you've seen them get deplatformed or you've seen even worse. They've gotten harassed. I've seen people get doxxed. I've seen people's lives and livelihoods ruined because there was, for example, a very popular... Um, she helps... Uh, mothers sleep train their sleep train their babies she 's a wonderful person. she never talks politics at all. It was found out that, that she had donated she and her husband had donated like a thousand dollars to the Trump campaign back in two thousand and seventeen. Well, people found that out that 's the gravest sin that you can commit of course and um, she and they posted all of her content, which you typically have to pay for in order to access someone who had access to her content posted all of the content for free online. Um, That really impacted her, that impacted her family, could have impacted them financially. That kind of stuff happens a lot. For simply opinions that are unpopular, that are not as politically mainstream as the mainstream would like them um, to be. And what I say in the midst of that, especially when we're talking about our fellow Christians, not simply people who who share political opinions, but what I say is share the arrows so, if you see someone being unfairly maligned because they stood up for something that was unpopular, they stood up for what the Bible says about whatever it is about abortion, about marriage, about sexuality, and they are getting unfairly maligned and harassed, you have no idea what impact it can make for you to raise your hand and to simply say, Me too. Oh, she's getting criticized for that. He's getting criticized for that. Me too. I believe the same thing, or I at least defend her right to say that unpopular thing. I got a letter from that lady when she was being trashed online, even by people who call them her friends, by people with lots and lots of followers. I mean, it was a big, big ordeal. And all I did, all I did, this took no effort whatsoever, so I'm certainly not patting my own back. All I said to my followers was, please send her encouragement, send her encouragement. Will you send her a message and just tell her that you appreciate her, that you're thinking about her, that you're praying for her, that you like the services that you offer. If you can afford to you know, buy one of her classes, do that. And she sent me a message. I had no idea if she was a Christian or not. She sent me a letter, actually, a long letter telling her that, that, that the encouragement that she got was the thing that made her keep going and that the messages that she received showed Jesus to her in a way that she had never seen before. You have no idea. You have no idea what sharing the arrows of people who are in the line of fire, Christians who are in the line of fire, you have no idea what that can do. I mean that shares that shares the gospel with people and so as a church especially let us band together let us band together and share arrows with our fellow believers who are in the line of fire who are being maliciously attacked or slandered or maligned or gosh far worse than that in other parts of the world let us stand with them not just in our prayers but also with our voices. Remember, courage is contagious. So if someone else is raising a respectful ruckus and you're like, you know what, I wish I had the bravery to do that, but I'm just too scared of getting canceled, of being called a bigot, whatever it is, (laughs) I would encourage you, I would encourage you to evaluate your priorities, (laughs) to realize that we are in a time, an unprecedented time, a time where this country, that this country has not seen before, It's time for people to be courageous, for you to be that one person, to share courage with other people, to stand up for that which you know is good and right and true. God is a God of order. We are agents of order in the civic world, in the civic sphere. We get the privilege of doing that. And remember, when someone calls you unloving, when someone tells you that you're lacking compassion, you can't out love and out compassion God. If all you are doing is reiterating that which God says is good and right and true, then you are not only being an agent of order, you are also being an agent of love and an agent of eternal change. And that is the greatest privilege that any of us could ever have. So thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Conversations with Christians Engaged. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't ever miss an episode. Also, please review it and share it with your friends. The easiest way to connect with us is to take the pledge on our website at christiansengaged.org. There you can sign up for our weekly prayer text, our bi-weekly emails, and our voting reminders. Christians Engaged is supported by individuals just like you. Would you consider helping us with a monthly donation or a one-time gift? You can do that quickly at christiansengaged.org. What does America need in this hour? America needs you. We are here to serve you and encourage you as you impact your communities. Let's be Christians engaged for the well-being of our nation.